Our scripture passage this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Hear now the inerrant word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in, with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, given for us. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ken. Will you pray with me? Father, it is so very good to be with your people on this day. Father, all around the world, there are people gathering to worship you and you alone. Father, we're a small, small part of that. Lord, the day's coming when we will all be together before the throne. Father, I pray that while we are here on this earth that you would transform us. Lord, make us to love like you to have faith that you call us to have. Father, I pray that you'd strengthen us. I pray that you'd give us eyes to see who you are, who you are in us and who we are in you. I pray you'd give us eyes to see your kingdom as you're building it upon this earth. Lord, even this moment as we open up your word, Lord, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase so mightily. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. 
Amen. I would tell you that this is one of my favorite passages, but I've told you that enough about every passage you look at. But it is. More so uh, as I come to understand more and more what it means. For many years, as I uh, heard this passage preached, I had this, this impression that I just needed to be more persistent. I needed to work up some greater persistence. I needed to knock harder and, and really be more, more audacious and belligerent. And if I didn't do all of that just right, then God just wasn't going to hear me. It was all up to me to be that most persistent individual. That is not who God is. Sometimes we look at God, and including our, our attitude of prayer, and we, we imagine that he's, he's something like a clerk at the DMV. Yeah. I, I went to the DMV a couple of years ago, and I needed, a, uh, I needed to get a new title to a car. And I, I went in. I was certain that I had all my paperwork. You know, you know the story. I had every piece of paper I could possibly imagine that I would ever need in my whole life. I might have even had a copy of the original signed Declaration of Independence. I mean, I had file folders. I, it was, I had everything that the website said I needed and then some. I waited two hours and I was thankful that it was only two hours. And I walk up to the, to the counter and I lay everything on the counter and she says, may I help you? And I said, yes, I'm looking for this, I need to do this and I've got this paperwork. She looks at the paperwork, and I kid you not, she looked at me and she said, you've got the wrong documents. <sighs> and I was silent for a moment, and I looked at them again, I looked at her, and I said, well, the website said I needed this, and here's my print, I had a printed checklist. I'm that guy. And so I, I, had a, I said, I have all these documents, the website said I needed. She looked at me, and she said, if you say one more word, I will confiscate all of your documents, which the law says I can do, and you can come back in two weeks and pick them up. <laughs> I melted quicker than Olaf. <laughs> you know, I, I, I picked up the documents, and I backed away so she couldn't touch them. <laughs> and I said, I'm gone. And I walk out of the building. And I drive, 20, I drive 20 minutes away to the next DMV, and I walk in with the same documents up to the counter, five minutes wait instead of a two-hour wait, and I present them to this sweet lady. And she says, okay, we've got everything we need here. And five minutes later, I've got a tag and a title, I'm out the door. Sometimes we imagine that our relationship with God, including our relationship in prayer, is much like that. Uh, it, it's a chance, it's a risk. Have we done everything we need to do? Do we have all of our, our ducks in a row? Is all the, are all the I's dotted and the T's crossed? Have we done everything right on that day? And then, of course, it depends on what kind of mood God's in. Is he going to say to us, come back in two weeks? You haven't done it right today. You didn't have your quiet time right. You grunted at your child. What's he going to do? What kind of a mood is God going to be in? Because surely it won't take him long to find fault with me. And he's not going to listen. That's not who God is. That's not who your father is. He is not like that. And he does not see you like that at all. 
This passage reminds us of God as a father, an intimate father. Jesus referred to him as Abba, which means Papa, it means Daddy. It gives us a taste of the intimacy that we have with God the Father. Now, some of you might recoil at that. You might want to back up and say, no, that's, that's not who God is. God's holy and majestic and just. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who speaks and the world comes into being. He is the one that speaks and nations are wiped out. He is that God. He is that God. And that God is your Father who invites you to come into the throne room of grace with freedom and confidence, Ephesians. He is that God who calls you his sons and daughters. He is that God who invites you to come to him as an impudent child, pounding on the door of heaven as only a child can do. He is majestic. And him being your father, your papa, father, your daddy, takes nothing away from his majesty. In fact, it adds to it. He calls us to come to him as impudent children. If you're used to the King James Version, you might have, have read something else. You might have read persistence. You might have read shamelessness in another translation. Uh, in, in NIV, the, the, the word is translated persistent or persistence. But in the ESV, it's translated as impudence. Now, the, the passage starts with the, the Lord's Prayer, as we commonly call it. I think a better word might be the disciples' prayer, for it's Jesus teaching the disciples how they should pray. And it starts off with Father, Father. The way that Greek reads, it's our Father. It's a personal thing. He's personal, he's intimate, he's not some distant Father, but he's our Father. We're not going to go through the Lord's Prayer today. We're going to spend our time in the rest of the passage from verse 5 on down. Jesus continues his teaching from the, after the Lord's Prayer, and he says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. It's interesting. He makes this personal here. He's speaking to his disciples and any others that are listening. Is which of you? Okay? This is very personal for them. The whole teaching is very personal for these guys. Which of you? Your friend comes to you spounding on your door. There's, there's, there's two households here. There's a visitor that has come to one household in the middle of the night. We know this because everybody's asleep in the other house. Come to him in the middle of the night, and the, the first guy has no bread. Uh, he's got some food, but he needs bread because this is, uh, in that culture, you, you use bread instead of spoons and forks, and bread, you'd use it to sop up uh, your, your, your food, your meal, and you'd to fold everything up and then put that in your mouth. Good stuff. Um, so, but they have no bread. And so hospitality was paramount. The, the father knows he's got to have bread to be a good host. He can't, you know, feed his guests without bread. So he goes and he pounds on his friend's door, his best buddy's door. Maybe he's right next door. Maybe he's two doors down. But he's pounding on the door in the middle of the night. And the, his, his best buddy says, go away, Bob. Jim, please, you've got to wake up. This guy's come to visit me in the middle of the night, and I have no food, I have no bread. I need bread. I'll be a horrible host. You want me to be a horrible host? <sighs> I don't want you to be a horrible host. My kids are in bed with me. It's the middle of the night. He would have had probably, we don't know for certain, but probably a one-room house, and they were all in the same bed together. Okay, it's probably a pallet on the floor. 
And the father probably would have been sleeping closest to the door because that's what dads do. They, they sleep closest to the door so that intruders don't get in the middle of the night because that's what we are. We're tough dads, right? And so we're, we're guarding everybody in the whole house. And, and somebody's pounding on the door, and he knows he's going to wake up his kids. Worse, he's going to wake up his wife after the kids are awake. And then the father's going to get it. It's not going to be his friend's fault for pounding on the door. It's going to be the father's fault that the friend's pounding on the door, that the guest showed up at his friend's house needing food. That's the way it works. And the father knows this. So he's saying, go away. Go away. Keeps pounding, keeps asking. And in verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he'll rise and give him whatever he needs. His impudence, his shamelessness, his persistence. He's, an impudent, he's like an impudent child coming to a father. And God is saying to you and to me, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's saying, come to me with such impudence. Come to me with that kind of shamelessness. Ask me whatever you will. Come on, let's have a conversation. Pound on my door in the middle of the night. I, uh, my mother divorced my father when I was four, and she married my stepfather. He was one kind of a, a man, um, not the kind he'd want for a dad. But until that time, I had, uh, I had this most wonderful father. Um, he's an Air Force guy. Uh, so everything was always spit-shined. I mean, even, even his casual clothes were creased, and his, his shirt was ironed perfectly, and his shoes were always just spit-shined. I've got one picture of us together, just one. He's sitting outside in, a, in an old, rusty lawn chair, and his, his khakis are creased, just perfect, as if he's about to stand for inspection, and he's got on his shiny black dress shoes. I mean, there's not a speck of dust on him. And then I'm standing right there between his, his, his knees, and it's a little family gathering. He's got his arms around me. I, I'm, I'm not wearing a shirt. I was four. You know, you're in Montgomery, Alabama. You don't wear shirts or shoes after May. Just the way it is. And I'm just wearing shorts, and there's, there's dust and dirt all over me. I was a typical four-year-old boy. My feet are covered with mud. And those muddy feet are resting on top of my father's shiny Air Force dress shoes. And there's a huge smile on his face as he holds me close. He doesn't care about his dress shoes. He cares about his son. God doesn't care about your mud. He cares about you. And he calls you to come to him as impudent children, to run into his arms and, and have a conversation. God's trying to give us a picture of what it's like to pray to him as a father with audacious, presumptuous impudence. The next part of the picture that he gives us is, is a knock-knock, who's there kind of a picture. Ask and seek and, and knock. You see it in verse 9. And I tell you, so he's continuing the same story, still built on the relationship of a, a father and a child. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open to you. You cannot take that out of context. 
You have to keep, whenever you quote that to somebody, whenever you're challenged by that in your own prayers, you have to remember it is in the context of a child to a father. Ask your father. Seek from your father. Knock on your father's door. Ask, seek. Ask and you'll find, or ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open for you. For everyone know, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. This, this, this asking and seeking and knocking is not some magical formula that if you do it just right, God's going to answer your prayer just the way you want it done. Listen, I was a, a wrestler in high school. Everybody knows that wrestlers don't play basketball. R- wrestling is what the men do while the boys are playing basketball. <laughs> but we... We can't hit the broad side of a barn with a basketball if we're two feet away. Well, my son Isaac was playing basketball a couple of years ago, and uh, his coach was a guy named Roddy Monroe who played for the Atlanta Hawks and uh, in NC State. Before that, he was part of the team called Fire and Ice. He's one of the top five scorers in, in uh, ACC history. Phenomenal, godly, godly, godly man. He was a coach at the school where we were. He could have coached in college or elsewhere, and he chose to stay at that high school level to pour into kids. He's pouring into my son, and I'm watching him teach my son how to shoot a basketball, and I realized at that moment that in my 50s, no one has ever taught me how to shoot a basketball. Maybe that's why I kept missing. So I'm watching Rodney. I'm trying to learn from Rodney. Point your elbow at the basket and do what with the ball? I thought you were supposed to chunk it. So Rodney taught Isaac and taught me then how to play how to shoot a basketball, and we'd go play in the backyard, and, and Isaac would say, no, Dad, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> At the time he was 10, he's teaching me how to play basketball and shoot a, shoot a hoops. You know, incredible. It's a wonderful thing. And so I, I got the mechanics down just right, sort of, maybe, but I still couldn't hit the rim. Well, hit the rim, but I couldn't go inside the rim. It doesn't matter how perfect I had the mechanics, that ball wasn't going to go in the net quite often. Listen. This, this is not a formula that says if we do this right, if we ask like this, if we knock like this, if we seek like this, that it's like we've got all the mechanics right and the ball's going to go in the hole and God's going to give us what we need. No, God's going to give you what you need because he's your father. Just because he's your father. He still wants you as part of the process. He still wants you asking and seeking and knocking and en- engaging that relationship of a child to a father. But you have what you need because he's your father. Not because you've done it right. It's not a magic formula. He's not going to always give you what you want, but he's going to give you what you need. It's, it's, we have to remember here something else that you won't catch in this passage. The, the Greek tense is what's called present imperative. Uh, that means that it's, it's a continuous action. It means keep on asking, you, you keep on seeking, and you keep on knocking. You keep engaged in that relationship. Always engaging. You say, maybe, maybe that's true for you, Harrison, but I feel very far away from God. Maybe you remember a time when you first became a believer and you felt so close and everything was so exciting, but now it just feels kind of dull. You ever get that way? God hasn't moved. God is still God and he's still calling you close. It's like the older couple that's driving down the road and in their old uh, car with a bench seat in the front and she's sitting over by the window and he's sitting over, by he, over here just driving and she uh, begins to, to pour out her heart. She says, you know, when we were young and, and newlyweds, we used to drive down the road and you'd have your arm around me. 
you know, and we would just have these romantic moments driving down the road. Why don't you do that anymore? And he says, honey, I haven't moved. My arm's still across the back of the seat, inviting you to come close. God's still inviting us to come close, to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. The third part of the picture he gives to us is same thing. It's a father to a child. It's very personal. In verse 11, he says, what father among you? So it's personal, okay? He's talking to these guys personal, just as he's talking to you and me personally today. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Anybody? Somebody asks you for a fish, you're going to give them a poisonous snake? Of course not. Of course not. If somebody asks you for an egg, you're going to give them a handful of scorpions? Of course not. That's ludicrous, right? He's arguing from the extreme here. It's ludicrous that anybody would ever, ever, ever do that. A father's going to give his child what the child needs. That's certainly not something that is extremely harmful, such as a poisonous snake or a handful of scorpions. And Jesus says to his disciples at this point, he said, if you, with your evil intention, with your evil, with your evil heart, you who are evil, if you know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he's not saying to the disciples, you are evil men. He's saying that your motives are impure. You're not God. You're not infinite you're finite your love is conditional you don't want it to be conditional but it's still conditional there's still some bits of it that are like that but you still give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven brings it back to the same place he started our father in heaven hallowed be thy name how much more will your father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him the ultimate. On one hand, you've got scorpions and poisonous snakes. On the other hand, he's saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. So what is, where does the Holy Spirit come in? He hasn't talked about the Holy Spirit the whole passage. How come he's, he's bringing it in now? He's, he's giving them the ultimate. The ultimate gift. He's giving them himself. There's nothing greater that the Father can give to his children nothing greater than to give them himself. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God the Father has given you himself and the Holy Spirit who lives within you. It doesn't get any better than that. Our Father, personal, possessive, it's our, it's mine. Martin Luther Martin Luther said, if you, if you say in your prayers with your heart, my Father, then you're already on the way to having your prayers answered. My Father. He's personal, he's, he's intimate. He, there's, there's a heart knowledge that God is imparting to his disciples through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Jews saw God as a, as a Father only in the sense that he was a creator. The, the idea that God would be intimate was something they could not grasp. It was far from them. 
Even now, I have friends that are Jewish, and, and when they write God, they write G underscore D. They're not even going to write the word God. It always baffles me because they say God. You know, I've been at parties late at night with some of these individuals. They say God a lot. Not always with greatness, but, but they won't write it. They don't understand the intimacy there. I'm, I'm wondering if we understand the intimacy that we have with the Father. I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget that. The reality is that um, all of us, in small ways or large, we sometimes look at God the Father through the lenses of our earthly father. So if we have an earthly father that was really, really rotten, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe abusive, uh, maybe an alcoholic, really, really, really awful. If that was your earthly father, then there's a, there's a part of you that, that is prone to look at God. It's maybe just little ways, maybe just every now and then. Maybe it's fading in the past, and I hope it is. To look at God the Father, though, through those lenses. And your, your, your view of God is tinted and tarnished by that view of your earthly father. If your father was absent, and for some of that, us, that's the case. Just as the first one is the case for some of us, many of us. If your father was absent, it's, it's hard for you to believe that God is always present. That the father really is with you. Even though he said, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. There's a part of this that you that's like, yeah, right. Sure you are. Because we, we view God through that lens of our relationship with our earthly father. And some of you have a father here on earth that's just the most awesome father, and you're convinced he's the best father that's ever walked the face of the earth. You keep that impression of him. That's great. But you still look at God through that lens, and you imagine that God, the, the heavenly father, is something like your earthly father. So your, your view of God, the father, is, is tinted. That lens is a different color. My friends, all of those fall far, 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 far short of who God the Father is. If you're that individual that, that had um, an awful father, an abusive father, like had an abusive, awful, alcoholic stepfather, I know what that's like. And it was awful. There were times I, I just, I just wanted him away, gone. And it was a long time before I was able to see God with any other lens than through this guy. Thankfully, that stepfather became a believer before he died. I'm thankful for that. But still, that lens is there. My friends, God the Father is different. In Psalm 73, he, he calls himself a refuge. He says that he is a refuge. He is a, a fortress. He is a, a place that you can continually run to for comfort, to hide in him. He's that God. He's safe. 
He's not absent. He's made that promise again and again throughout all the book. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. He is, he is that father. He is Abba, Father. I'm going to ask you to let God define himself. Instead of letting me define God, instead of letting your earthly father define God, instead of letting your TV fathers define what God looks like, let God define himself through the pages of Scripture. You know what God looks like? You want to know? Colossians 1 says that Jesus Christ is the exact representation the image of the invisible God. What does God the Father look like? He looks like Jesus. God is not only a creator, creator father, he's not only majestic and just, he is the Abba Father. He's also the one that has chosen you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has chosen you. My friends, listen, if you're not a believer, I'm glad you're here this morning. God would call you even now to have him as your father through Jesus Christ our Lord. How, how much did he love you? He loved you enough to give up everything he had. Listen, if um, somebody comes to me and they say, hey, uh, Harrison, I need, um, I, I need a kidney for, or I'm going to die. Or even worse, I need both your kidneys or I'm going to die. Or even worse, I need your heart. I need your heart or I will die. I am probably not going to give that individual my heart unless he's one of my children. If one of my children wants my heart, they can have my heart. They can have my life. Somebody needs you to, to give up a life so that they can live. You would be quicker, though, to give up yourself than to give up one of your children. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need your, the life of your child or I will die. You're like, no, no. You can have me before you can have my child. But God the Father didn't do that. God the Father gave up his only son, Jesus Christ, that you might have life. So that you would be his sons and his daughters. In Romans 8, it says for all, in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It doesn't say sons and daughters, not because it wants to leave out daughters, but because sons had a, had a higher ranking, a closer relationship there with, with a father in a household. So if he had said daughters, it would have left a step undone. Because he said sons, he's saying you're as close as you can get. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children that heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. How cool is that? You're not just a son or a daughter that's seated at the kids' table somewhere in the distance. You are a son or daughter of the living God, an heir with Christ, seated with Christ at the wedding supper of the Lamb. You're seated with God the Father forever as a co-heir with Jesus Christ. That's why we can come to him as impudent children. This week, my friends, I want to encourage you to pound on the door of heaven as impudent, shameless, audacious, persistent, 
children of God. You pound on the door of heaven. You ask him again and again and again. You seek his heart. You seek him. You pound on the door of heaven as a child pounds on the door of his father's house. Father, we come to you even now and we ask you to help us to do just this. Lord, help us to live in a way that reveals who we are, who you are in us and who we are in you. Father, I pray that as individuals and as a church that we will not see you as someone that is distant but someone that is here, that is with us and that we'd see ourselves as someone that is with you. Father, help us to know your heart. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Let's dance.